This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. This is the show where we talk tech, but we make it kind of fun and easy to understand. We have lots to talk about on today's program. NAFTA 2 has been, uh, I guess, almost sealed uh, between uh, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. We're going to find out today what it means for the tech industry. There's a lot of things in there that you don't know about and you need to to hear because uh, it is a little bit concerning. We'll also be uh, chatting with the folks over at Open Media about uh, Fair Play Canada. This is something that Bell and Rogers were trying to get the CRTC to to jump on board with where they would uh, basically have the CRTC... Uh, shut down websites that had illegal content. Mm. Kind of uh, a lot of gray areas there. Well, we'll tell you how that uh, all uh, turned out. And uh, some uh, new little devices to help you uh, remember where your keys are. Always handy. Yeah, because I'm losing my keys all the time. I do the dance every time, right? Like I check for my AirPods, I check for my wallet, I check for my phone, I check for my sunglasses, I check for my house keys. And it's just like, you got to do the pat down. Yes. And if there's, if, there's a, if there's a lump missing from a pocket or a jacket, you're like, okay, we can't leave yet. Is that, then, the, is that the middle-aged white guy? I think so. It's sort thing? of the dance. Yeah. You're not right? middle-aged yet, but well, thank God. you're getting there. <laughs> you're getting there. And uh, we've got a new segment at the end uh, where we're going to do the, uh, the voice skill of the week. There's so many of these uh, digital uh, voice smart speakers out there, Google Homes, Amazon uh, Echo speakers. Well, there's all sorts of commands you can give them. Well, we're going to give you some of our favorites every week now. We've got some cool ones this week. It's, yeah, they're, they're really cool. Uh, so lots of crazy stuff in the news this week. What's your, what's your favorite news topic? Um, I Personally, I'm a big fan of Wi-Fi 6. Okay, this is interesting. Yes. So we all know what Wi-Fi is, yes. unless you live under a rock. Yeah. And you can still get Wi-Fi there in most cases. Uh, this is how you get uh, wireless internet to mm. your different devices in your home or office or even out on the go now in the streets. Well, there are obviously there's been different standards over the years. Yes. Do you and remember all of them? It's confusing as hell. Wireless, okay. Uh, there was uh, Wi-Fi. Um, there was B. So A and B launched at the same time. Yep. Then there was G. Yep. Then there was N. Yep. Then there was AC. Yep. And next is AX or... Wi-Fi 6. So the Wi-Fi Standards Commission, what are they called? Uh, it is the Wi-Fi Alliance. The Wi-Fi Alliance. <laughs> Which so. sounds like, the, you know, you'd see that in Star Wars. Totally, right? Right? You've got, you've got the Rebels, you've got the Imperials, and over here, the Wi-Fi Alliance. Alliance. Well, instead of all these stupid letters, which I think most people are confused with. Oh, and right? there was a series of numbers to go with it as well, right? Because yep. it was an engineering standard, standard so it was 802.11G. Mm. Yeah, which just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, totally. So what the Wi-Fi Alliance is proposing now is that... They're just going to go to numbers. So instead of Wi-Fi 802.11ax, did I get that right? You did. It's Wi-Fi 6. Wi-Fi 6. Whoa! How easy is that? Ta-da! It took us, what, like 20 years to get to that point? Longer? So this is something they're pushing. We don't know if everyone's going to jump on board with this yet. I know Netgear has, for yes. example. But it's just going to make it easier now when you're looking for routers and you know the different devices out there, what they'll support. It's much easier to remember, oh, Wi-Fi 6, my router supports that. These new devices have that. Everything's going to work really well. Ta-da! Ta-da! Big story this week from Bloomberg, and it's we're still getting fallout from it. Uh, Bloomberg basically wrote an article about a... Uh, a company in China with, I guess, government affiliations over there, mm-hmm. Chinese government affiliations, uh, allegedly, this is what Bloomberg is um, saying, put little micro-sized uh, chips on the motherboards 
of uh, computers and servers that went out to large corporations in the United States, including Apple and Amazon. So that there's these little spy chips on the chips. Yes. <laughs> In the motherboard that are basically putting little pieces of code to send back information to somewhere yes. in China, we're and, assuming. And so these little chips were about the size of a grain of rice. Uh, the company was generically named almost like a Bond villain company. They were super micro. Super uh, micro. Their stock took a beating this week because they've just been accused by Bloomberg of international espionage. And Bloomberg said basically that the FBI... Uh, was alerted by Apple and Amazon. Amazon and Apple found these little chips on their servers and contacted the FBI back in 2015. About that. Anyway, uh, huge. I mean, if this is true, this is huge. Yeah, and this is something that actually has been a fear that has been stoked over the course of the last, you know, 10 years or so as uh, essentially, you know, we've looked at China's manufacturing capacity and we're putting all of our, our eggs in that basket over there, there have been people who we've looked at as alarmists saying, hey, you know, we need to be x-raying motherboards. We need to be x-raying chips to make sure that it's just what's actually supposed to be on this device. And so if this is true, you know, they say big if true, um, this actually is the validation for a lot of tinfoil hat wearing people out there who've gone, <laughs> like, this is... Finally, finally. <laughs> but so Apple and Amazon are denying that they this has happened and yes. that, that they've contacted... Uh, the FBI. Yeah. But, but Apple has stopped using stuff from the Supermicro. They said they went a different direction for separate reasons altogether. Um, of which, course. Of course. I mean, it fits nicely into that conspiracy theory. Uh, the thing here is, you know, if this is actually true, and we're not saying that it is, but if it is actually true... Um, <laughs> we sound like Trump people now. <laughs> I know. Bloomberg's going out on a bit of a limb here to accuse this company of this if yeah. they don't have the evidence. Yes. Right? This is, you know, you're, you're looking at a serious case of libel. Oh, my um, God. Can you imagine? It, well, it's crazy. Like, the evaluation that was lost by Supermicro today was yeah. significant. And um, the main people in the story totally denying it. Yes. Apple and Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, but here's the thing is, if there is an ongoing investigation, if the FBI or the CIA are looking into this, they may have said to Apple, you can't talk about it. So, if you're asked about it, you have no ability to speak about this, and you need to deny, 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 because it's a matter of national security. And that would be something that could compel both Apple and Amazon to not speak about this. So up in the air on this one right now. I mean, it's not unfeasible, and it is something that personally I've looked at it and went, yeah, that's actually, that, that could be a legitimate fear. Yeah, but, you know, these big companies like Apple and Amazon, don't you think they'd find those things pretty quick? Like if you were trying to get in there? I would imagine they did, Yeah, right? And I think that's well, probably it. I mean, Clearly, if, I, if this is true. Yeah. <laughs> If I were if I were Tim Cook, if I were Jeff Bezos, I, that before even beginning to have an agreement with a group in China, I would make sure that there were those stringent security protocols in place. So you would do things like X-ray these things and make sure that you do have only the hardware that you've asked to be built on your hardware. Well, we'll be following up on that story as we hear more about it. I'm sure there's going to be more fallout uh, from it uh, as the uh, the days and weeks go on here. You are listening to Get Connected. We've got lots more to talk about on today's program. As we know, uh, there's the new agreement, the new NAFTA II, uh, that uh, the U.S. has, many people said, forced Canada to sign. Well, there's a lot of implications for the tech sector, and we will be telling you what those are. We've got Brian Jackson on the line coming up after the next break from IT World Canada to let us know all about it. You are listening to Get Connected here, brought to you by London Drugs on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, uh, if you've uh, 
been following the news at all this week, you'll have uh, seen that uh, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico have uh, basically reached an agreement for NAFTA 2. On the line, we've got our friend Brian Jackson from IT World Canada to talk about uh, what that means for tech companies in Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Happy to be here, Mike. So what does it mean for tech companies uh, in, in Canada? Well, uh, as far as we can tell right now, and these are early days in understanding exactly what USMCA will mean for the tech and innovation sector, but there's a few key areas that we can see some language that will definitely raise questions and, and might change how we operate uh, in the future. So the biggest area is probably around data storage. Um, this, this new agreement, uh, NAFTA, of course, did not refer to data in any way, right? So that left governments uh, in North America free to govern and to create legislation requiring data to stay within their company. So, for example, when Canadians deal with a, a Canadian bank, they're assured that their Canadian data is stored within Canada. But uh, this new USMCA agreement says that you're no longer allowed to do that, that you can't require that a business store its data center in Canada in order to do business in Canada. So that means that uh, companies like Amazon Web Services and uh, Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud, they, they could use their data centers to cater to businesses in Canada and uh, also store the data there. Now, I should say, Mike, that um, there's many Canadian companies that currently use um, these American technology providers and have their data stored in the U.S. While all of these providers now offer a Canadian region, uh, that's only an option. You can, you can go and use the Canadian region uh, if you want to. And uh, many of these companies were using... Uh, cloud services before that was available, and they were comfortable use, having their data in the U.S. So, you know, there's a lot of questions to, to work through with cloud storage and exactly what it means for where data can be stored and when it can stay in Canada and when it can't, but definitely something to pay attention to. That's kind of concerning. So basically, if you're uh, dealing with a corporation, uh, a Canadian uh, one, uh, and, you know, you're giving your information and data or what have you, uh, potentially now that uh, could be down in the, the U.S. being stored. And that opens up a whole Pandora's box of what the U.S. government uh, could do with that data. Exactly, because often the concern that uh, people have is that when data is stored in the U.S., then U.S. law enforcement can more easily get their hands on it. And that's been a perception in the technologies sector for a long time, although other people argue that uh, there are already agreements between law enforcement that would really give American, uh, American law enforcement access to that data if they really wanted it. Uh, nonetheless, there have been many compliance standards created, uh, for example, in the financial industry, and uh, BC is very strict about where data can be sent and where data can be stored if you're dealing with personal information of Canadian citizens. That's crazy. I guess you're going to have to be concerned, Brian, with all your uh, your troubled past. No, I mean, I, 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 U.S. has all of my data. I'm in New York City right now, I, and I signed up for Nexus. So they literally have all of my biometric information, my address. You know, they, they know almost as much about me as Google does at this point. 
it's too late for you. Yeah. I, I hope I make it home. <laughs> Is there any other uh, provisions? Uh, There's some other areas we we. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no. I was just going to ask: Are there other uh, provisions in this new agreement uh, that uh, would concern the the tech industry? Yes, there are uh, a couple other areas, such as the copyright extension. So uh, it used to be that copyright was protected for 50 years after the creator's death, meaning that if there was some sort of original work um, or patents and it uh, the creator was dead for 50 years, that became uh, part of the public commons. So that included even things like algorithms that would be used to uh, program software. And uh, even in the healthcare space especially, there's a lot of pharmaceutical uh, implications about copyright. So that is ex- extended now to 70 years. So we have to wait even uh, longer to get access to uh, these these original um, IP that could be used to create all sorts of products and services. And, and that's bad for Canada because Americans tend to own a lot of intellectual property. So it just means that on balance, we have to wait even longer before our companies are able to uh, use that information, use that potentially uh, beneficial um, intellectual property to create products and services that we can sell. It's so interesting, Brian, because, you know, uh, you know, everyone kind of looks at the, uh, you know, kind of the headline, uh, you know, grabbing uh, issues with, uh, you know, the, the agreement, you know, the dairy farmers, uh, you know, the auto industry. But, you know, what we're talking about here could literally mean tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars uh, lost, uh, you know, over, over time. What other uh, issues uh, regarding the tech industry should we uh, be concerned about? Well, here's one that consumers will will actually make a difference for people that like online shopping. It used to be that when you bought something from Amazon or something that you were getting shipped to you from the United States, at least, that uh, you'd be paying a, a duty fee on top of that for any product that was more than $20. So this is called the de minimis threshold, basically the minimum that a product and cost before it's taxed at the border. Uh, so now it's $150, which is a lot higher. The Americans uh, wanted it to be $800 because that's actually their threshold for when consumers or American consumers, for example, order goods from Canada, they don't get taxed until it's as high as $800. So a bit higher now for Canadians. Uh, so that will be great. If you are ordering things online and getting them shipped to you from the United States, now you'll know that it'll cost a bit less as long as it's under that amount. Uh, and another th- important thing to look for here is to get that sent to you by current, not by the postal system like Canada Post, because for some reason this, this new exemption only applies if it's sent by courier. Really? <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why. Um, most things are probably sent by Canada Post, or it depends on where you're buying it and who's who's shipping it. But sometimes you get to choose as the consumer what shipping service is used. So you could keep that in mind. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I think obviously uh, more of a win for the uh, the the Americans uh, because they basically have the biggest e-commerce, uh, you know, 
sites uh, out there right now, like the Amazons uh, uh, of, uh, of America. But, you know, a good thing for consumers here. I know the retail industry was, uh, was concerned uh, about, uh, you know, raising that uh, exemption level uh, here in Canada because it says that it does definitely affect uh, Canadian retailers and, and, will, and will cost them money. Yeah, that's interesting. But there's also the other side of the argument. So uh, this is something that Andrea Steers, the managing director of eBay, talks about, and she'll point to small businesses in Canada that, that sell on the eBay platform and ship their products into the U.S., right? So here's how they get hurt by a low diminishment threshold. So if, if uh, a clothing retailer ships a shirt to the U.S., it costs $50, let's say, and then that consumer tries it on and realizes it, it doesn't fit, great, uh, no problem. The e-commerce uh, stores always allow you to return it and uh, give you a full refund, right? So the U.S. customer packs it up, ships it back, and returns it. But because it's crossing the U.S. border to Canada, now that retailer has to pay the tax, the duty, (laughs) to receive back their own merchandise, and then they have to refund the consumer the full price. So they've actually paid uh, now, uh, you know, so they're losing money every time their returns are being made, even more so than than it is normal. So that's not good for small businesses that want to access the U.S. market. That's stupid. Like, that's really stupid, but I, I guess it would be hard to <laughs> differentiate between what's a return and what's not, I guess. Exactly. How? I mean, are you could ask them to implement a, a system to track that at the border, maybe, but then how do you know it's not being faked? And really, uh, it, it would be very difficult to tell the difference. We're talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada, all about uh, the the newest trade agreement with the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and uh, what it means for the tech industry. Brian, as always, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Anytime. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Fair Play, the uh, the copyright uh, petition that uh, Bell Canada and others was putting towards the CRTC to basically block any websites that uh, allowed you to access uh, illegal content. Well, the CRTC decided uh, what uh, they wanted to do there. We'll tell you what uh, that is all about when we come back from the break. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, if uh, you were following the news this week, uh, you might have seen that uh, the CRTC has uh, effectively stalled, uh, uh, I guess, a... uh, Petitioned by uh, Bell Canada and others to introduce something called Fair Play Canada. On the line, we've got Laura Tribe from Open Media. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. Sorry, Laura. (laughs) Almost got your name right. Uh, Laura, tell uh, our listeners what uh, Fair Play Canada was trying to accomplish. So the proposal that Bell and partners put forward to the CRTC was an attempt to put into place a website blocking regime, uh, something that would require the CRTC to build an agency to maintain a list of websites uh, that were allegedly related to piracy. So essentially the plan was a way to block websites that are in any way potentially connected to illegal sharing of content online. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, there was no court oversight with this process. Uh, and so what it really meant and what we were really concerned about at Open Media and in our community was that it would end up resulting in a lot of false positives uh, and people having their content blocked or taken down with no real mechanisms to make sure that there was due process in the first place. Why does it always seem that Bell is behind all of these things? <laughs> I mean, I think that what you're really seeing is 
the reflection of the current media landscape that we have. Uh, this is something that we saw across the board ISPs really object to, uh, with the exception of those ISPs that are also content producers and broadcasters. And so what we're seeing from Bell in particular, uh, although it's not limited to them, is really ways to try and save cable TV. Uh, you know, as people are continuously switching uh, to the internet as their main source of television and video content and streaming uh, and cutting the cord on cable, there's ways that these companies are trying to make up for that. Uh, and we see that in all kinds of proposals of ways to try and, you know, tax the internet to help support Canadian content creation, uh, which we've opposed, but also through things like this, which I think from from their business interest, they really think will help protect their model. But the thing is, people aren't using it to download content illegally. They're streaming it. They're going to services that are making that content easily available where people are consuming it, which is online. I mean, Bell, they have their uh, their Crave TV, right? I mean, they're part of that whole streaming streaming world. They are. And I mean, I think that, you know, Crave compared to what we've seen with some of the other cable providers uh, and content providers in Canada is doing better. Uh, Show Me from Rogers did not last and it, you know, Crave's still around. But when you compare that to the catalog of content that's available on something like Netflix, it's not the same. Uh, But a lot of that is the licensing agreements that these cable companies and, and content providers have made. Uh, we saw that although Bell is the provider for something like Game of Thrones, uh, that's not something that they worked into their agreement to make available online. And so that was something that was really difficult for Canadians who are paying their cable bill to access this, but also paying to access content online. And that same provider that has the licensing for Game of Thrones is not making it available to people streaming over the internet. And so that's where, although they might have those agreements, they're not yet making the content that they have access to available on the platform that people want it. So the CRTC turned this uh, this down. Do you think this is the last of uh, fair play that we'll hear? Oh, I wish it was, but I don't think it will be. Uh, what we saw in the CRTC's decision this week was not that they actually said fair play shouldn't be implemented, but just that they don't have the jurisdiction to implement it. Uh, and so instead they said that this conversation should take place at the current reviews of the Copyright Act, which is underway, and the Broadcast and Telecommunications Act, which are also up for debate. Uh, So I think that we're going to see a lot from Bell. We've already heard it mentioned at the Copyright Act, uh, but I think that we're going to see a lot more from them to try and actually get the laws bent to make this possible. Do you think it's good that these uh, these large corporations not only um, have the content but also control the pipe as well? They're the ISP and they're the broadcaster. I mean, is that just the lay of the land now? I think it's the lay of the land, but I think that it's highly problematic. Uh, You know, when we see things like net neutrality come up, when we see conversations around zero rating and making certain content more cheap or more expensive than others, from ISPs alone, from their standpoint, they don't want to do it. It's not in their business interest. Things like blocking content uh, like Fairplay would have had are actually really expensive and difficult things for ISPs to put into place cost them a lot of money and don't really help them provide the internet the end users want. Uh, So what we're really seeing is these kinds of ideas, these kinds of proposals coming from the broadcasting interests of companies, but being used through their internet service branch of the company. Uh, And it's really problematic. It pushes for policies that are not in the best interest of the internet. And I think ultimately it comes with the lens of how do we make the internet look more like cable? And the reason the internet has taken off and doing so well is because it's not that. Uh, And I think that's really the concern when it comes to policy, when it comes to the power dynamics 
of who sort of is helping shape the rules of the Internet, that a lot of this is from a different model. It's from a cable model that's being forced on the Internet. So I think it's a huge concern to see the crossover between those two interests and how they play out. Do you think they'll win out in the end? I hope not. Not if I have anything to do with it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think what we saw in the Fair Play proposal was immense pushback. Uh, there were over 150,000 submissions made to the CRTC, which may not be the record. I have to double check. I think at one point we broke that, uh, but it's some of the highest numbers that we've ever seen at the CRTC. Uh, we put from Open Media in our community over 80,000 comments on the record, but that leaves a lot of other comments that came in from other organizations, other outlets, people who are reading about this on Reddit or Facebook or hearing about it from their friends or reading about it in the newspaper were so concerned that they still up. And so I think that this is not an issue which is a matter of just policy. This is something that really impacts people. They can figure out what that means to them and their day-to-day internet use uh, and spoke up. And so we're going to find ways to make sure they can keep doing that moving forward and we can beat this bad proposal. Talking with Laura Tribe from Open Media. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here and Get Connected. You listen to Get Connected brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, have you ever uh, lost uh, some of your uh, important devices? Well, there's uh, a solution out there. I've been using uh, little tiles uh, for uh, a while now, and it's uh, great uh, for helping me remember where my keys are. On the line, uh, we've got Simon Flemingwood from Tile. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Uh Love Tile. Uh, I use it all the time. I've uh, got uh, one in my wallet. I've got one in my uh, keychain. Uh, so I always know where uh, these two items are because I misplace them uh, quite often. Yeah, yeah Tile, um, Tile saves a lot of people's hide. We have, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, as much as we might not want to believe it, that people spend an awful lot of time looking for misplaced stuff and I'll lose a lot of money with things that get lost. In fact, believe it or not, $46 billion worth a year of items are lost. How much? And, uh, you know, Tile is a technology solution that's simple enough for everyone to use that solves that. That is crazy. Well, you guys have uh, some uh, new products coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, we're, we're launching uh, today our new um, Tile Mate product and our new Tile Pro products. Um, these will replace the Tile Mate that exists today and, and the, the Tile Pro series that has existed for the last year. And these products are just, um, you know, what I would say are, are better in sort of every way. They're easier than ever, they're more reliable than ever, and they're stronger performance than ever. Um, the Tile Mate, which sells for $30 Canadian, uh, has a, a range of 150 feet and um, and is 50% louder than the mate that it is replacing. But probably the, the biggest news is that these new products have replaceable batteries, and that has been uh, something our customers have asked us for, and, uh, and we are giving them that with these new products. That's pretty exciting. Uh, the previous models, uh, they had a lifespan, uh, and once that lifespan was up, you had to get a new one essentially, right? That's right, yeah. And the reason we did that was because that lifespan, we wanted that to be a minimum of a year, and we felt like if we had put a replaceable battery in it, uh, that we couldn't guarantee that year. Um, And so what we have been doing is spending this time figuring out how to maximize the battery life while increasing the performance 
um, and uh, and making sure that when we move to a replaceable battery, that we could still guarantee that one year from every new battery that was put in it. And so that's what these products deliver. Well, uh, let's uh, walk the listeners uh, through how these uh, actually work. Uh, they're uh, the size... Uh, a small little square, uh, essentially, so they can basically fit on uh, most uh, items. Um, tell the uh, users how you get this set up. Yeah, it really, it really couldn't be easier. When you buy a new uh, a t- one of our products, it comes uh, in a very you know small and simple package that will tell you to uh, download the Tile app, which you do for free. And once you have created an account uh, with Tile you can just add tiles to it. And it is simple as holding a tile and pushing the tile logo button on the tile. It activates automatically. You name that tile. So for example, it's my keys, it's my wallet, it's my luggage, whatever you want to name it. And then once you've activated the tiles, you will always be able to find that tile from your app. And you can do that in a couple of ways. The first is that if it's misplaced and it's nearby, you can just ring it so that you can find it. That's super helpful for wallets and couch cushions or, you know, remote controls or whatever you want to use it for. Um, if you lost it somewhere else, you can see the app will tell you the last place it was connected. And that's obviously a great place to start to look. And then if you still can't find it, you can activate Tile's massive network of users who form a community that anonymously search for all tiles. And so today, 4 million tiles are found on that network every day. And uh, and so that's sort of an added layer of insurance. If you lose something, you can rest assured that someone in the tile community will pass by it, and you'll get an alert of exactly where it is. Well, you know, i, I got to be honest. I think that's one of the most powerful features for, for me, the tile community, uh, you know, having access to all those other people out there that uh, are uh, in the tile uh, world. Uh, my daughter uh, lost her uh, uh, little wallet one time, and uh, we were actually able to find it through the, uh, the tile community, which uh, was fantastic. So, uh, you know, it saved me a few bucks, <laughs> definitely. So, you know, it's uh, definitely a great investment to uh, really, I guess, protect uh, some of your uh, more valuable items, uh, you know, like wallets, keys, uh, and, and purses. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, we rely on technology to simplify so many areas of our lives today, and uh, you know, tile is just another one of those things that can make your life a little simpler because instead of worrying where things are, uh, you just look on the app and and you can find them instantly. Um, that takes on a whole new level of you know um, of good feelings when it's your wallet and you're afraid you've lost it, but. Uh, but you can look and see, oh, no, I left it at work or I left it at home. Maybe not still great, but at least it's somewhere safe. You know, Tile answers questions and helps people find stuff in a way that sort of just provides peace of mind. We're talking with Simon Flemingwood from Tile, uh, all about the, their new Mate and Pro series. I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show uh, today, Simon. Where can people find out more information? Well, certainly from our website at tile.com, and then our products are available at sort of all the usual suspects, but Amazon, Best Buy, and Staples would be uh, three great places to go. Fantastic. Thanks again for uh, coming on the program. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Get Connected is brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, Every Sunday here on CKNW 980, 
10 a.m. Sunday mornings. The App Show. It is awesome. You got a smartphone, a tablet, a smart TV. You have to listen to the program because we tell you all about the latest and greatest apps. And there's millions of them. So it's just a lot of fun. Well, usually we do an app of the week, but we're going to take a little different uh, turn this time. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. We're talking about Amazon skills <laughs> for, your, for your Amazon Echo device, uh, where you use the A-L-E-X Egg. command. <laughs> I got tweeted a bunch this week from people saying, don't say that word out loud because it sets off my Amazon Echo voice assistant. But it's so much fun. Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to do... Uh, some uh, voice assistant skills of the week. We'll start off with uh, one for the Amazon Echo devices. What do we have, Graham? So this week, uh, I, we just heard that Star Trek Discovery is coming back to uh, television screens in January. So in honor of that, I have a series of skills. Oh. A particular set of skills. That work for the Amazon Echo they device. They work for the Amazon Echo. Okay. And so these are, uh, in order, we have uh, Star Trek Red Alert, uh, Star Trek Destruct Sequence, uh, Star Trek Photon Torpedoes, Star Trek Warp Speed, and Star Trek Phaser Attack. And when you install these skills, and we're all, we'll actually we'll post this on the Facebook page as well so you can go and take a look, because uh, you can download the whole suite of these skills. Uh, all you need to do... Are you ready for this? Yes. going to make it happen. Alexa, red alert! Okay, now you've just pissed off thousands of people listening to this show right now. <laughs> so what happens? Uh, so if you actually have that, it will, it will set off the klaxon alarm like on the Starship Enterprise. And it will say, Red Alert Battle Stations. Uh, this is the ultimate useless tool for geeks out there. Uh, now, here's the really cool thing, is that you can actually change the keyword on the Echo Dot from that which shall not be named to computer. So if you want the authentic Star Trek experience, yes. you can actually say, computer, Red Alert, and it will get a Red Alert for you. <laughs> so... Uh, it does have the auto-destruct sequence, so it will begin to count down uh, the destruct sequence. And you, you trigger that by saying, uh, computer destruct 000 destruct 0, uh, which is the sequence there. From Star Trek. From Star Trek. Uh, but you can also get you it to like, warp speed. You are the biggest nerd that I know. You know, there are people out there right now who are like, he actually got that wrong. Okay. Uh, so... Now, it's kind of a cool set of skills that you can add in. Uh, it would actually be a lot of fun for Halloween as well. If you want to have a bit of a Star Trek-themed Halloween, maybe like uh, the Borg attack, Star Trek First Contact, you're looking at me like I've got two heads. Well, I, I, I'm a Star Trek guy too, so... Fair. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Star Trek skills for, uh, for the Amazon Echo Dot and other Amazon-powered speakers. I've got one. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, this is for the Amazon uh, Echo speakers that have the voice assistant whose name we will not say out loud. Let's just call her Alana <laughs> instead of A-L-E-X-A, okay? Okay, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, this one here is uh, to make your house look like there's someone home when okay. you leave. So a lot of people leave the TV on so that there's like noise, there's conversations going on. Well, now you can tell your Amazon Echo device, and again, we're using not the right word, but Alana, run away mode. Have you heard of this? Run away mode, no. And so when you say that, uh, basically, your Amazon Echo will play a recorded series of, of conversations. So you'll hear uh, some guys talking about a space pirate role play game and even a mother attempting to assemble IKEA furniture. 
That's fascinating. <laughs> and so that will play and play uh, while you're away, so that it sounds like someone's home. Maybe that's good for your dogs oh, and so cats that are home it's, it's alone. It's run away mode as opposed to run away mode. Yeah. Which I run suppose you could away use mode. if yeah. you needed to run away from someone, you could put the conversation on so that I think the person's still there as you run away. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, fair. What else you got? Uh, what else do I have? I've got, uh, so Siri uh, with iOS 12 has come out with a bunch of new features. They took the workflow app and turned it into Siri shortcuts. And so uh, you like to ski. Yes. A lot of people like to ski. Uh, we've got a shortcut that was posted to the Shortcuts subreddit on Reddit uh, that we're going to post to our Facebook page as well that actually has uh, the ability to quickly load all of the Whistler webcams. So, Oh, yeah. that's cool. So basically it's a one touch and it will load up all the Whistler webcams where you can see, you know, is there some great powder up there today? Is it worth driving up there? Um, and see what the, the conditions are like. So that's a really cool series shortcut that I think a lot of people will appreciate. And we'll, uh, we'll get that up on the Facebook page uh, for the show. That's all the time we have left here on Get Connected. Listen to the app show tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. It's awesome. We'll be there again. You can listen to us some more. Mike and Graham logging off for Get Connected. We will see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.